3 and showing how the Jews did not meet the standard of God by any means. Uh, they didn't look like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't look like anything that God would recognize as his people and showed how Christ disfellowshipped them and would have nothing more to do with them until they accepted those whom Christ would send, which was the apostles in the New Testament church. Now, I started off there for a reason, and that is because there are people out in the world, and the religions of the world, who have certain ideas about the end time, and who will play roles in it, and who will not, and they don't get the players right. Um, they look here, and they look there, and hardly anyone understands where Israel is. And yet the Bible is written about the twelve tribes of Israel, Judah and the other eleven tribes. So anytime you are considering Bible prophecy, you have to realize that the nations of Israel are central to the story, because they were the people that God did choose of all peoples on earth, and worked through them to produce those twelve tribes. And... They're the ones Christ married, they're the ones he divorced for their sin, and they're the ones that he is working through for the most part here in the end time uh, to finish man's part of his work here on the earth. He would work through Israelites. Now just as in the early New Testament church, it began with Israel, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Paul was sent to the Gentiles, uh, but primarily it was done with Israel first, and then he uh, worked with the Gentiles more. Now we find the same thing. Herbert Armstrong started out in the nation of what we now understand as Ephraim. It spread to Manasseh and to Canada and other parts where Israel is in Western Europe, Australia and South Africa where the Dutch went and so on. So we know, and I think they fairly well identified where Israel is. I don't know that we have every tribe completely nailed down as to who they are. But we have a pretty close um, understanding of that, I do believe. And I think I've seen enough evidence that as the younger brother, Ephraim, is the United States, uh, Britain being the older brother, Manasseh, here in the end time, uh, came first, but America certainly has eclipsed uh, what was the British Empire and has had much, much more blessing. It says Ephraim's vine would go over the wall there in Genesis 49 and have blessings such as no other country had ever had. So, how can the world get anything right about prophecy if they don't know who the number one player is? They don't recognize where Israel is today. In their minds, it's just that little country over in the Middle East, and that's Israel. It was named not Judah, it was named Israel. But they think the Jews went there. But what they do is put all 11 of the other tribes out and just look to the Jews as all of Israel. Well, they might, com they might combine Judah and Levite a little bit, so they call it the ten lost tribes, not eleven. But essentially, uh, that's the way they look at it. They don't know what happened to those ten lost tribes. Well, God said that they, all those tribes, would be as the sand of the sea. So where are they? If there is the sands of the sea in the end time, there's got to be somewhere, and there's got to be a lot of them. Okay? So they can't be totally lost. They may be lost in the minds and understanding of the people of this world, but they can't be obscure and gone and sort of disappeared like a magic act. They have to be around. <clears throat> when you read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel the book of Revelation. They talk about Israel. They talk about the tribes. They talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
in the end time. So, they got to be here somewhere. Now, you and I have a tremendous leg up in understanding just by knowing where Israel is. There are a few people out in the world who do know that. Uh, it's called the doctrine of British Israelism, but it is denied by almost all religionists. Just a few here and there understand, and they don't know what to do with it. Now, the world, for the most part, expects uh, Damascus to fall in Syria, and the Jews to be victorious, and the Jews then are all going to come from wherever they are in the world and gather to the Middle East, and there will be set up the kingdom of God. So what I want to do in this series is identify more carefully, if we can, the end-time stage and the players who are on it. I think we have misunderstood in some cases. Now let's take the Jews, for instance. What Christ said in Matthew 23, he meant. He would have nothing more to do with them. Now is he going to use them to be the deliverers? Are the ones who defeat the Gentiles and then set up the kingdom of God in whatever form somebody might imagine? Or not? Will they build the temple of God and that be where the uh, abomination of desolation is set up that signals the beginning of the tribulation? That's what most religionists, most Protestants believe, that they're going to somehow get rid of the Dome of the Rock, the Jews will rebuild the temple, and that will be the center of everything. Now, I'm not going to go back, because we've been there many, many times, and go through all the prophecies to prove this to you, but I think as I say it, you'll recognize it. Wherever you read about the latter days, and end time Judah and Israel, through the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, references in the New Testament, what does it say? It says that all Israel and Judah are going into captivity. Now, quote 1, Ezekiel 5, where it says that one-third will die of famine and pestilence, one-third by the sword, and one-third go into captivity, and the sword will go after them. Now, right after that, Ezekiel laid on his side 390 days for Israel and 40 days for Judah. And he ate measured food, not all he wanted, but it was measured out so that he only got so much, and it was a small amount. He wasn't having any activity, so he didn't need a whole lot. He was laying on his side and couldn't get up. But it says there, right after that, that the demise of Israel and Judah would occur shortly. It was, it was symbolic of a period of time. A day is a year, it says. But at the end of that 4.30, very shortly thereafter, Israel and Judah would be destroyed. Now we've gone over that a bit and seen that uh, even after the 70 years were over of the captivity in Babylon, it was two years before they got permission to get things together and go build Jerusalem and the temple. Uh, the second year of Darius, after the Babylonian Empire had been destroyed, and the second year of the Persian king, uh, Cyrus or Ahasuerus' his son and uh, uh, what's her name uh, <laughs> Esther uh, Esther and Ahasuerus' his son Cyrus took over the Persian Empire and two years later after Persia had destroyed Babylon they were allowed to begin the preparations to go and build the temple and to build Jerusalem so I believe that we've reached the end of the 430 years from the time of the Roanoke uh, settlement until 
uh, July of 2017. And now we are approaching two years since that 430 ended. In other words, Israel was in Egypt for 430 years, not really as captives at first, but it became that way, and for 430 they were there. The level of captivity is not the key. It's that they were not independent and on their own for 430 years once they went to Egypt or Mithraim. They depended on Joseph, who had been sent ahead for food and for sustenance and to even stay alive. So they were there 430 years. Now we have been, as of all July 2017, I believe, 430 years since the Roanoke colony. And God gave us back 430 years in this land for the captivity that was in Egypt. He put us there 430 and took us out on the selfsame day. He put us here for 430 and he didn't take us out at the self-same day, things are a little bit different in each reenactment of history and prophecy. But Ezekiel covered that. He says, when that 430 years is done, each day is a year, that shortly thereafter, it is come, it is near, it won't be like the echoing again for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, it's come, it's here, it's near. He said that I think 11 times there, saying the time then is very short at the end of the 4.30, and I do believe it is. And the same was true uh, of the 70 years, which I think ended in uh, August of 17 as well, a month later, because it was in August or September of, 20, of 1947, that Herbert Armstrong began the college and began to really do a work. And the church from that time was 70 years within Babylon. Uh, and now we have been given opportunity to come out of that. And I believe that that will come soon. And I'm talking here about the building of the temple and the building of Jerusalem that we would be released from Babylon or Persia or the Gentile world and be able to go build the temple. See, that's what the end of the 70 years was about. They would be in captivity there. Didn't he tell us here in the end time church to flee from Babylon, to leave Babylon, and go and build the temple? And he would deliver us in the wilderness there in Micah 4. So he's told us that. And if the, if the 70 did indeed end at about the same time the 430 did in the fall of 17, then here we are uh, almost two years later. Well, July would be the Roanoke time, two years later. Uh, and this thing is becoming more and more imminent as we sit here today. <coughs> so, we know where Israel is. We know the Jews will not be a major part of this because when that 430 ends, the 70 ends, and it's almost time to build a temple, that the United States is going to be destroyed. And all those prophecies talk about not just Ephraim, but of the other tribes and Judah as well. And Ezekiel included all the tribes and Judah. So that country in the Middle East, if it represents Judah at all, is going into captivity along with Western Europe and the United States. Now most Jews are not there, and the true Jews, apart from Edomites and Ammonites and Moabites and so on, uh, are scattered around the world. God said Judah would be scattered there in Genesis 49 among the nations. So there's lots of Jews in the U.S., there's lots of them in uh, Canada and Britain scattered all over northwestern Europe uh, and even Gentile nations a lot of Jews in Hong Kong so wherever you go around the world you have a population of Jews 
And they have been persecuted in the past, and they're going to be destroyed in the future, just like the rest of Israel. So Herbert Armstrong understood that Israel would be destroyed. He preached that throughout his ministry. I don't think he understood some of the other players that will be on stage, and I don't think could have, until we see some of these things beginning to develop. So, last week I started with the Jews and says they're not going to be a major player. They're going down just like the rest of Israel. So, those religionists out there who think the Jews are going to be prominent in the end time are going to be sadly disappointed because that isn't what's going to happen. And America and the other tribes of Israel will not, beyond a certain point, be major players either. Now today, we still are major players. But that is going to end soon. Now I went through a series of sermons, uh, oh, some years ago, showing that America is the leader of Babylon. That we are today the kingdom of Babylon. Now, two places say... Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And I do believe that means that the current leader of Babylon will be destroyed, and another leader of Babylon, which is Satan's worldwide system, will arise. And then it will also be destroyed by Christ, who takes them by the nap of the neck, the beast and the false prophet, and throws them into the lake of fire. So... I think in that series of sermons, which turned into quite a long series, actually, uh, showed an awful lot of proof of who we are. Let's understand this, because it can be confusing. When you go into the prophecies, or of the history of the past in the Old Testament, and the prophecies in the Old Testament, the players change. Uh, at one point so-and-so could represent a certain uh, value among the nations. Now, they then become a prototype. Let's say, let's say we're talking about cars in the Old Testament. This nation was a Ford, and this nation was a Chevy, and this nation was a Cadillac. Okay? Now, everybody understood who they were. They knew who Nineveh was, they knew who Babylon was, they knew who Persia was, they knew where all these were, like we know one car from another used to before they came all the same. But the roles change, don't they? Over time, even with cars today, you can see them going whizzing by on the road, and unless you pay very careful attention, you don't know a Nissan from a Ford, from a Chevy, from a from anything else. So you have to carefully sort out which is which. Boy, in the 50s, you didn't have any trouble with all the different tail fins and shapes and everything. You knew just first sight. And some of those from back then, I see on the road, and I already know what they are. That's a 57 Chevy. That's a 66 Thunderbird. It's so obvious to me. Never question. Now I look at them going by and I think, I don't know what's what anymore. And you know that's kind of what prophecies become? <laughs> I don't know what's what anymore. Now didn't Herbert Armstrong tell us that Germany was the Assyrian and that they would be the ones that would destroy us? And those who have succeeded Herbert Armstrong with their works still believe that. Now, when do we start facing reality? What is going on in the world? Roles change. Nations look like this, and then they look like something else. The first example I will use is Israel was supposed to look like who? They were to look like God, and they were to look, to look like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph is the way they were to look. But somewhere, they put on different garb. They played a different role. Did they not? 
God looked down from heaven and he says, I do not recognize you as the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Go to Ezekiel 16, or 15, I guess. Yeah, it's 16. And he says, you're Canaanites. You're not Israelites anymore. He says, you're Canaanites. I look at you and I see no difference between you and a Canaanite. It says there, your, uh, which was it? Your father is an Amorite, I think it was, and your mother is a Hittite. So, the roles had changed. And how did God deal with them? Did he deal with them as his beloved people of Israel? No, he divorced them because they were having concourse, intercourse, with the rest of the world of the Gentiles. So he divorced them. Says, you're Gentiles, you're not Israelites anymore. I will not have a Gentile wife. Out of here. You don't even look like an Israelite anymore. So wasn't there a role change there? Yeah. Now, Elijah <clears throat> performed a certain um, function. He went up against the pagan religionists of the day and killed the prophets of Baal and did various other things. Now, Christ said that John the Baptist was Elijah. Was he the Elijah? No, he was John the Baptist. But he performed a function similar to Elijah's in going up against those who were against Christ, against God, and against Israel. Like King Herod. Lost his head over it. Elijah didn't lose his head. He didn't go up against the priests of Baal. He went up against Herod. But his function was to prepare the way for Christ in a more direct way than Elijah did. Elijah did, in some ways, fulfill that prophecy by making way for God when the priests had all gone to Baal. So he went up against those who were against God in Israel. John the Baptist did the same. Now he says there's coming another Elijah in the end who will restore the truth of everything and will go up against the whole Gentile world as one of the two witnesses. So the role is a little different uh, but it's also in preparation for Christ's return that the Gentile nations be given that warning, as well as the Israelites in captivity. So, the people change. It's a role they play, like they were on stage. Uh, here they appear a little this way. Here they appear a little bit different. Uh, the events are a little different. And at the end time, the events are different than they were in Elijah's day or John the Baptist's day. All the prophecies of Revelation and Daniel did not occur in the past in the exact way that they're about to occur and are occurring today, for instance. So, those things change. Moses uh, will be represented here in the end time, wearing a bit of a different garb, but he will still be uh, in charge as a type of the Moses of old. He's not uh, going to do exactly what the original Moses did, but he will lead people from the captivity of sin. He will lead them from the captivity of Babylon that we live in and deliver them to Zion to be taken care of there. So these roles change, and we have to understand who is doing what? Now, let me give you some for instances, uh, and then we'll go through some scriptures. And this is somewhat speculative, I understand, and I want you to know that. Uh, but we have to look at the way things are today. What is actually occurring as opposed to how we thought it would occur? Now, what did we think would occur? Herbert Armstrong saw World War I, he saw World War II, he saw Germany being a very heavy aggressor in both those wars. 
So when he read about the king of the north and the Assyrian, uh, he thought it was Germany because he saw them and he thought America was going to go down very shortly. And when it didn't happen in World War II, which he thought it would, he thought that Germany would win and her, the Axis powers would win. But they didn't. So immediately after World War II, he says, oh, I had the players right, but I had the time wrong. So then you begin to see in the plain truth and the good news, all these articles, almost every month it seemed, about Germany will rise again, or Hitler is still alive. Remember some of those headlines? Uh, that went on in the 50s and 60s and so on. And that Germany would rise again by 72 and uh, defeat us, and the Great Tribulation would start and Christ would return by 75. Didn't happen. Now, is Germany the Assyrian, or the king of the north, spoken of in the Bible that will destroy the Israelite nations? At this point, I don't think so. And I went over some of that in pretty good detail here not too long ago, a year or two or three, whatever it's been, and showed that I didn't think that was Germany. Germany is attached to northwestern Europe. And I believe at this point that probably Germany is primarily the tribe of Dan. It may have some others mixed in, but primarily Dan. Now, what, would, what did God say about Dan? So they would bite at the heels of their brothers. Now, here, and that was an end-time prophecy. That was about the latter days there in Genesis 49, where God described what each of these would be like and what they would do. So here in this end time, since the end time church began, who has been at the heels of Israel? Primarily Europe, uh, somewhat into Eastern Europe, and then America was drawn into both World War I and World War II, but it was Germany that was biting at the heels of the Israelite nations. They weren't fighting the Chinese. They weren't fighting the Aborigines in Australia. They weren't fighting the Africans. They were fighting Israelites. Well, what did God say Dan would do at the end time? Bite the heels of the Israelites. Now, as I look back with 2020 vision, I think, I can see that Germany was biting at the heels of his brothers. That makes him Dan. I think there's probably a lot of Danites in Denmark. Denmark. The Germans and the Danes both would argue that because they hate each other, basically. But uh, that doesn't matter. <laughs> you don't like somebody much if you bite at their heels, Okay. So it hasn't appeared, it doesn't appear that Germany was the king of the north or Assyria. It appears that they were a brother Israelite biting at the heels of their brothers. Now, we have the stage being set very quickly for World War III and a whole change in the way the world is right now. We know by the leaves on the trees, we read in Matthew 24 last week, there would be wars and rumors of wars. There would be an, an increase in earthquakes, volcanic activity, that kind of thing, and so on. And here in the last two or three months, there's been an incredible uptick in the amount of volcanic activity and earthquakes, and now they're starting to hit in America. They believe there is a huge volcano being formed right there by Mammoth Mountain, a volcano itself in California there at Ridgecrest where these uh, earthquakes have been, have been over 11,000 in the last two weeks there, earthquakes. And I read that they believe there's a super volcano under there and they've been studying it for 40 years. You're just now hearing about it because it's just now started really shaking. But they've been studying it for 40 years, knowing something was there. And now it's becoming obvious something's there. Okay? 
You can have a burglar slipping around and around your house very quietly, and if he doesn't make any noise or you don't look out the window, you don't know he's there. But he is. When do you find out he's there? When you hear glass break or a door being jammed or something. Then you know. So they've been circling there for 40 years studying this place, and suddenly now they hear glass break, and so they now tell you there's a super volcano under there about to blow, or whenever it does. So here we are at the end, and we see these things happening as Matthew 24 said they would. Now we see famine coming because of poor crops. <clears throat> but you look around at it, and Germany is not a major player today, are they? They're not that strong. They've had the strongest economy in Europe, but Europe is in terrible financial condition. And Deutsche Bank, the biggest bank in, I think, Europe, but certainly in Germany, is just that close to going under. They just laid off 18,000 people. Their stock, last time I checked, was down to about six bucks. And they are in the derivatives market billions upon billions in which they owe money and, and have no way to pay. So Germany's economy is in as bad a shape or worse, and Europe's is as well, than America is today. And Germany has almost no army, no military. How much do you see when America decides to bomb somebody? Uh, there'll be some French jets and a few British jets, and, a, you know, NATO will throw in a few people. How much military might do you see Germany throwing around? Almost none. Because there were treaties made after World War II that kept them from rearming. And it has not happened. So how are they going to defeat their brothers in Europe and us? <laughs> I'd say, looking at the geopolitical map today, as things stand, there's not a snowball's chance that Germany is going to destroy America. Who is in a position to do that, if anybody? Russia, China, and those who are allied with them, but not Germany. So then you have to begin to look to somewhere else and say, well, we, you know, we might have been wrong all those decades. Maybe we need to look for somebody who has the power and is in a position to actually do what the Scriptures say. Now, Asher which became Assyria, was a son of Shem, Semitic, white people. Well, the Germans qualified there, essentially. But you know who else has an awful lot of white people that don't appear to be Israelites? Name me a big place with an awful lot of white people outside of Europe and those that we recognize as Israel. There's only one spot on earth that you can find that. That's Russia. A lot of Semitic people in Russia. They're white people. You see a Russian on the street, you don't know him from an American unless he speaks Russian or something. Looks just like us. Now, what does Russia have? There are other white people in Eastern Europe. Poland, Czechoslovakia, Romania, you name it. A lot of them there. But none of them have any power. So how are you going to how are you going to say Poland's Assyria and going to come and destroy America? I don't think so. But who has been the one, even through Herbert Armstrong till today, who have had the ideology and who have had the power to do what the prophecies say? Didn't we go into a Cold War right after World War II? Weren't we arming ourselves with? Atomic, nuclear weapons, and then hydrogen bombs, and on and on, it's gone. Who else was? Russia. Who was communist and socialist? 
who had said by their leaders a long way back that they were going to destroy America from the inside out. What do we have today? In Washington, we have a lot of socialists, communists getting into Congress, into judgeships, into high power in American government and society. Communism and socialism are taking over America today from within. We are so deep into socialism now, you can't really call us democratic anymore. They have just about gotten the job done, except for the military part, which is coming very soon. We have been defeated from within. You cannot change anything through voting or demonstrations or anything else you try. The socialists have taken over. And socialists is thinly veiled communism has taken over. They're taking all the money away from the middle class and the poor and giving it to the rich. That's classic communism, as uh, exhibited in China and in Russia and other places. So who today has the power to do what the scriptures say they'll do? Russia does, along with her allies in China and in India, who has also nuclear weapons. Iran probably has nuclear weapons. Not known for sure, I guess, except by those who are in the know. But they're allied with Russia. And the provocation is growing between Russia and America. And like Hosea says, our government, Trump himself, flies to the Assyrian like a silly dove to try to get help there from Putin. And they're looked upon as cronies or buddies in a way. He's not going to Angela Merkel like a silly dove trying to get help from Germany, is he? I don't think he and Ms. Merkel really care much for each other. So those prophecies aren't fitting the way we thought they would. Now I'm going to throw another one at you today. We went through and showed very clearly that Babylon is Satan's system. So Babylon is a worldwide system because he is the prince of the power of the air and is the present evil ruler of this world. Satan rules the world. Bottom line. Christ qualified to rule the world when he defeated Satan after his 40-day fast. But he has not yet come back to take over and to actually rule it. He said he will rule the world when he returns and his saints come with him to put down all principalities and powers, and he will then rule the earth and it will, with a rod of iron. And it will be a peaceful, wonderful place for that thousand years. So, if people think God is ruling now, they're not reading Scripture. God is hands off this world, and Christ is, for the most part, in letting Satan rule it. What does it say? The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and Savior, Christ. That's what they will become, but they're not today. Now, is God in overall charge of the universe? Yes. But he has allowed Satan to rule this world. Now, he intervenes at critical moments and doesn't give Satan complete and total control, even though he allows him day to day to rule the earth. Just as with Job, he says, I'm going to let you rule Job. You can do anything with Job you want to do with Job, except don't kill him. So he let Satan have his way. But he left a certain amount of control there that he would not allow Satan to go beyond. So God is still more powerful than Satan. He can still tell him what and what not to do. 
he can still cast him down, as in Revelation 12, and not let him go back again. Though he is there today, every day, accusing you and me. But that will stop. So he is the present evil ruler of this world. Now God says in Daniel, I think it's 4, that he sets over the kingdoms the basis of men. So God has and exerts a certain amount of control in the way events go, lest Satan do what? If God gave him total control, he would have already destroyed all mankind. Because he hates us in that he knows that we are to become rulers with Christ over a peaceful world. So he would have already killed us all. He tried it in the garden. That didn't work out too well for him. But he will come that close here at the end. Christ says, unless I intervene and cut it a little short, there would no flesh be saved alive. That is Satan's ultimate goal. So, his kingdom is Babylon, is the point. He rules the whole world, and Babylon means confusion. And we have a very confused, upside-down, topsy-turvy world, do we not? It's confusion. This one against that one, and that one against this one, and alliances being made, and treaties made, and everybody trying to survive and thrive. And it's a dog-eat-dog world, full of carnal human nature. Every abominable thing imaginable is being done by mankind today. So it's Satan's world. Now, the point I made in the series on Babylon was, who is the leading nation of Babylon or Satan's present government on the earth? Now, in ancient times, we know of Babylon as that Babylon ruled by Nebuchadnezzar who came and destroyed Israel. But has there been a role change now? Look around. Who is the leader of Satan's Babylonian system? For the last several decades, it's been none other than the United States of America. We have been the reserve currency of the world since 1913. So we've been in charge of all financial dealings and trades in the whole world for this whole period of time up until today. We have been paramount militarily and politically as the American Empire. Now, we don't use an empire the same way the British did. With the British, they would subjugate somebody, and then they would rule them from Britain, like India, for instance. They would send someone there to govern that nation and to rule it and to run it. Like you would run a Walmart or a Target or something, there would be somebody there to run that nation. That's the way the British did it. Americans don't generally do it that way. We use our power as the king of Babylon to go in and obliterate them with bombs, and then they're kind of on their own again. We'll put some puppet in there to so-called run it, and we may keep some troops around like we have in Iraq for a while. We didn't in Libya, didn't bother. Just bomb them into subjection, get their oil and their gold, and move on. Because why? Qaddafi wanted to sell oil for gold. And we didn't want that to happen because we wanted it to all be in dollars. Saddam Hussein got bombed for the same thing. He announced he was going to sell oil for gold. So he got bombed and killed. Now Iran has made deals with the Chinese and the Russians to sell uh, oil for gold and for uh, their own currencies, uh, Russian currencies and Chinese currencies and so on. And we are on the cusp of bombing Iran because we don't want that to happen. 
But you can only go so far because American power is eroding. The king of Babylon is getting old and gray. And the Chinese and Russians are now starting to trade among themselves and bypass the dollar. Europe has just made a deal with Iran to buy oil and gas with the euro instead of the dollar. And now we're scratching our heads in Washington saying, now what? Because our closest allies have gone against what we're trying to do. So how is this shaping up? America is losing its power. Russia and China are consolidating and gaining power. Iran, as we sit here, is gaining power. And yet, they're being frustrated by American sanctions. Let me give you an example. We think, well, they just can't sell oil. The American government has put sanctions on Iran so that they can't legally do business with any other country apart from dollars and uh, they can buy and sell food. So how did this play out? Several months ago in Brazil uh, two freighters from Iran went over to get loads of corn because Iran buys a lot of corn from Brazil. Okay? Now Brazil couldn't say, we're not going to sell you corn because of American sanctions. Because our sanctions allow them to import food. So what did Brazil do instead? Those freighters had traveled from Iran with fuel to get to Brazil. Now they have their corn loaded on, one of them 50,000 tons and one 60,000 tons as I recall. And they've been sitting there in Brazil now for many months because Brazil refuses to sell them the fuel to go home because America has sanctioned fuel sales to them. So they could sell them corn, but they can't sell them fuel because of American sanctions. They just sit there full of corn and can't go feed the Iranian people. What's going to happen? Well, Iran's only choice really would be, I guess, to send a tanker over there all the way from Iran to Brazil to give these two freighters some fuel so they can take the corn home. Very spendy, very time-consuming, and very frustrating to the Iranians. Now, what you've seen is what I have been saying Daniel 8 is talking about for many years now, and that is that the uh, Grisha, which has had a role change, America uh, is performing some of the same roles that ancient Greece did as a powerful uh, uh, empire. And it says that this goat will fly, not touching the ground, from the west and bomb uh, the Medes and the Persians. If you go down, it says it's talking about the Medes and the Persians. Well, we bombed the Medes, Iraq, into submission. And the next domino to fall is, I believe, Iran, who claimed to be the Persians. I've been saying that for quite some time because that's what seems to be what the Bible is intimating there in Daniel 8. What has happened in the last two months? You read the list of ships being detained by the British, ships being detained by the Iranians, a drone shot down, an American drone, which was uh, 110, was it million or billion, 110 million, I guess, uh, dollars worth of plane. They shot it down. Now, we apparently have shot down an Iranian drone, and the Iranians have captured... Uh, British tankers and turned them around in the Strait of Hormuz in the last two or three days. There's a great deal of ratcheting up, up, up into war status. Now we are shipping troops already, troops, 
to an old base that we abandoned 15 years ago, right there near Iran, in the somewhere in Arabia. And planes, they're, they're there now, in July, and the planes are supposed to go in August. This thing is building up to war. The Russians so far are sitting back, and the Chinese are sitting back, but Iran is their ally. Now, the Iranians hate the Saudi Arabians, and they hate the nation of Israel. Want to destroy them. Well, we went into Syria because they, we want to build a pipeline from Syria through Turkey and up into Europe, and we needed to control Syria. It's all about money and oil and big, big business is all it's about with America. So we went in there and tried to get Assad killed off like we did Gaddafi and Hussein and others. But the Russians intervened just a little bit, just enough to make us back off. Now, how are they going to feel if their fairly close ally, Iran, is attacked by the U.S.? And how will China feel? Because much of their oil now is going from Iran. They're not going to like it a bit. And we've put 25% tariffs on stuff coming from China. Sounds political. You know what it's going to do to you? Nearly everything in Walmart is going to go up at least 25%. Because to import it costs 25% more now than it did three months ago. So when the present stock runs out and they have to replace it, it's going to be a lot higher price. Is your check going to go up? I doubt it. It's going to be harder to make ends meet. This whole thing is coming together very, very rapidly. Now, what if just as America is the king of Babylon, just, just like God said in Ezekiel 1, you look like Gentiles to me. He looks at America today and it looks like Babylon. Do we not have a terribly confused political scene now that we've never had before? Oh my, what a mess. Are we not in confusion of whether we're boy or a girl? Are we in total confusion as to whether babies ought to live and become adults or die? Do we have a mess? Oh, yeah. We're so deeply in debt, we could never get out of it. It's over. It's done. You can never pay it off. We're a mess. And we represent a Babylonian nation, Babylon. Now, let me throw another one on top of that. What if we today are the king of the north? You and I have always looked at the king of the north as either Germany, I think we've changed our view, and now we'd look upon the king of the north as Russia in combination with all her allies, the Chinese, the Iranians, we saw 83, all kinds of people. So there you have between Russia and Iran, which is Muslim, uh, a partnership. Who is in the north who has the power today? Just like Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar had the power. If we can see that America is the Babylon of the end time, which will fall and be replaced by the beast power, another then they will rule the Babylonian world of Satan. What if we have been the king of the north, whipping up on all kinds of people, and then we are destroyed, and another king of the north arises, which I believe will be Russia. There are some things that are going on in the book of Daniel that are still pretty confusing. It talks about the king of the south and the king of the north pushing against each other and back and forth and a daughter of the king of the south making a deal with the king of the north. And and it's it's all hard to sort out who is who there and what is what and what the role is. But there's some clues in there that are important for us to grasp. And I'll name some of them. We'll probably read them. 
But there in Daniel 10, the angel came and told Daniel, I will show you the things that will happen to you in the latter days, which is where we are today. So he says, these are the things that are going to be happening to Israel. So Israel there is a key player and a major, a major player here at the end time because there is the sands of the sea and there's still God's people and that's where he raised up his spiritual Israel is within physical Israel, the end time church. <clears throat> now Daniel 12.1 is very interesting because I'm talking about Daniel 8 through 11 here and all this back and forth and the persecution of Christians and the the death of Christians, and so on. Here's a pretty startling statement in Daniel 12, verse 1. Here it talks about the king of the north even setting up his throne in the glorious holy mountain at the end of chapter 11. Well, when is that? That's when the temple is defiled. When the beast, false prophet, set up a throne in the glorious holy mountain, the true Jerusalem. Now notice chapter 12 and verse 1 of uh, Daniel. And at that time, not before, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of your people, Daniel's people Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time, and at that time, your people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Now, if we read Matthew 24, which we shall, and Daniel 8, 9, 10, and 11, which we shall, we're going to have find that it's dealing with Israel, it's dealing with the church, it's dealing with some back and forth between the king of the north and the king of the south, before the abomination is ever even set up. Because the tribulation isn't done until, or doesn't start until the day that they defile the temple. They set their throne in the glorious holy mountain. Matthew 24 says, when you see that abomination set up in the temple, you flee. That's when he begins to truly deliver you from Satan and the world. It says that after Jerusalem is built in 70 weeks, the abomination will be set up. That's in Daniel 9. And then the tribulation will start, as Christ said in Matthew 24, it would, when you see that abomination set up, like Daniel said it would. So, all of these events, then, appear, from all the way through Daniel, to be leading up to the Great Tribulation and the time of trouble such as has never been, and it doesn't start until all this other stuff has been done. When they defile the temple is when the time of trouble such as you've never seen will begin. The Tribulation won't begin until then. Let's see that in Matthew 24. kingdom will be preached in verse 14. It says to flee to the mountains. And then will be great tribulation, verse 21, such as was not since the beginning of the world of this time, nor ever shall be. Almost the same words that we just read in Daniel. So that's when the gospel begins to be preached. That great tribulation begins is when the abomination is set up in the temple and everything else that we're reading here is before that. Now we'll get into it, and I want to study it some more between now and then, but doesn't it talk there in Daniel 11 about the king of the south pushing against the king of the north? It talks about how some people will forsake the holy covenant and will betray one another. That's God's people. The Holy Covenant is the New Covenant, the end-time covenant. And it will be rejected, and people will betray one another to death. It says some of those of understanding will fall as well in Daniel 11. 
All right, let's look at the world. Who's pushing who right now? Probably the greatest push on earth right now is the whole Muslim world pushing at Europe and trying to take over Europe, pushing at America and the rest of Israel, and trying to take over Israel, all the nations of Israel. They are raping and pillaging and killing with almost no restraint all through Europe, including Germany, which I believe is a tribe of Israel. They do nothing about it. It's happening here. They now have, on loudspeakers in New York, the prayer call for the Muslims broadcast. In, uh, where did I read? One college. Was the University of Oregon? I forget now which one it was. But there are a lot of them that are doing it. Now, it is illegal. It's Colorado State. It is against school policy at Colorado State University to use the word America. It's illegal on that campus. It's against the rules of the college. They thinly veiled it by saying, well, there's South America and there's North America and Mexico and Canada are part of the Americas, if you will. So if you say America, you're being racist and kicking out all those other people. Now, how did you and I grow up? This is America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Now it's the home of the enslaved and the transgenders. It's not what it was. But they're trying to change all the language... And now you can use, you can talk about Muslims in a kind way. If you say anything against Muslims, you could go to jail in America. And Christians, anybody that calls the name of Christ, is under great pressure. You may not notice it right here today, but across the nation, that's the way it is. Prime Minister of Canada, Trudeau loves the Muslims and is trying to bring them in as fast as he can. We're allowing them to come in here by the tens of thousands across the southern border and on airplanes and wherever. And they're taking over some cities like Minneapolis. And now we have Muslims in the United States Congress and they're even wearing Muslim garb, some of them. Obama invited them into the White House the Muslim Brotherhood was very, very powerful in the White House during the Obama years. Well, there's a great movement of the Muslims into all the Israelite countries today. They're pushing at us. They're pushing at our culture. They're pushing at our government. We're taking care of them in every way and promoting them. So they're pushing to take over Israel. They're the children of Ishmael. Remember Hagar and Ishmael? And Ishmael being cut out of the birthright? That war is still going on. And they're coming after Israel today to get what they think is theirs. And we're the great Satan to the Muslim world. Why do they hate us so much? Because we took the birthright. Through Isaac instead of through Ishmael. So nothing has changed. The role has changed somewhat, but I think that today it should be obvious that the Muslims are in more of the southern areas for the most part. And they're the ones that are pushing at white people. But they're not going against Russia. They're allies with Russia, at least some of them. They're allies with other countries, but not Israel. They're trying to take over Israel, and they're doing a pretty good job of it. So, are we the king of the north that they're pushing against? I pose that as a question. And at some point, do we push back? 
Who's going to attack first? Iran going to attack us, or are we going to attack Iran first? I don't know. But I think Daniel 8 shows that we will win that war when it does occur. Whoever starts it will win it. And then our horn will be broken. We'll get into all of that. But consider that we might represent right now the king of Babylon and the king of the north who is whipping up on everybody else. Now that will change soon. The queen of Babylon will be destroyed. And the king of the north uh, is going to have its trouble too and be destroyed. So I pose that as a question. I don't know that I can prove it yet, but I think that there's a very good chance that we're fulfilling that role at the moment, and somebody else then will take it over as their more natural role. But in the meantime, to God, we're a Gentile kingdom. We're conquering other peoples like Gentiles. We're not a loving, kind, gentle giant that is loving the world and trying to help the world. We use the excuse, we're going to give them democracy. We don't give them democracy. We bomb them into oblivion and then walk out and tell them, you be good from now on or we'll come back and do it again. You do what we want or else. That's an empire. We're not kind and benevolent. We destroy nations, not a few. That's what we've been doing for the last 40 years or more. That's the role we've been playing. Now it's going to get reversed on us, and we're going to be destroyed by the true king of the north. I meant to get back into Matthew 24, and I see I'm out of time. But I wanted to lay some ground here so that we might look realistically at what is actually going on in the world as compared to what our worldview was when we looked at prophecy in the past. We've got to deal with reality, brethren. We've got to see what's actually happening and see how that fits Scripture instead of us coming up with an idea and trying to force Scripture onto it. No, reality is Russia and China are building strength. America is losing strength. Germany is nothing, basically. And will be destroyed with the rest of Israel because I believe it's a tribe of Israel. So let's uh, let's open our minds and consider some things, and I want to get into more specific scriptures next week.